Welcome to a brand new episode of the Five Heart Podcast, brought to you by Coordination.com, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Mahochko, joined as always by our founder and fearless leader, John Dam Johnston. Hello, John. Hi, Greg. And How are you doing? Also, I'm doing great. Uh, also with us, as always, I mean, let's let's face it, this is the new tripod. Uh, we love Haas. And if he ever comes back on a full-time basis, we'll have the quad pod. Not sure that's a thing. Uh, copyright, trademark, Greg Mahochko, Five Heart Podcast. But anyway, uh, also with us, as always, is the great beloved by millions, Todd Wolverton. Hi, Todd. Hi, Greg. I think that would be a chair. If there were four, I think it would be a chair. <laughs> yeah, but the quad pod, I think, sounds better. I, I do not disagree with that. Quad pod, you, that, that might be the moneymaker we're looking for. All right, so all we need is for Haas to finish up school and come back to the real moneymaker, which is the podcast. And then we can start making shirts, bumper stickers, other uh, paraphernalia that say quad pod. Hashtag quad pod. It's a thing. Let's make it. You know, some, somebody probably already owns rights and it's a porn site or something. You know, I didn't think about that because that's not the first place that my mind goes, Todd. <laughs> but here's the thing. We've got to stay on task this week. So it's only Husker athletics. No funny business and no side tangents. All right. Okay. So let's get to it. Uh, we are uh, several days removed now from Nebraska's uh, loss at home against Purdue, 28-23. Nebraska managed to do it again. They scored late and ended up losing by one score. Does that make you feel any better? Nope. I So it's been 23 games now in the Scott Frost era that have been decided by one score, eight points or less. And friend of the show, Josh, uh, reached out to me after the game on Saturday and said, how far back do you have to go to find that many one-score games for Nebraska? So I looked, and you have to go all the way back to the final year of Bo Pelini's tenure at Nebraska. So just four years. So four years with, you know, three games left, and then the four seasons prior, including bowl games, uh, there was a, a one-score loss to uh, USC uh, in in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, you have to go back that far to get to uh, twenty-three, uh, or yeah, twenty-three games that are decided by one score or less. Now the difference is that instead of being you know five and eighteen in the Scott Frost era, Nebraska. Uh, in the 23 games that were decided by one score or less in, in, you know, previously were 10 and 13, which is still a losing record, but it's five above where they'd be. And think about maybe is the narrative different if Scott Frost, this sounds so sad. This is where we are. If Scott Frost has five more wins in the last almost four seasons, I guess it depends on where, where some of those wins end up. If, if you're looking at this year, you turn, you know, the Oklahoma loss into a win. You turn the Michigan and Michigan State losses into wins. Now we're talking, 
you know, those are, are, I think needle movers. Um, but otherwise, you know, five wins over, you know, over three and a half seasons, it doesn't mean a whole lot. It would nice for Scott to have a signature win, just one signature win, one, one win we could go, Hey, remember that one time when we, but you can't. Bo Pelini had that one win. Mike Riley had that one win. One score, Scott does not. I remember. I remember, now Bo Pelini had help. Um, I think it, and oddly enough, maybe maybe there's something in the air, but it was against Ohio State at home. It was you know Rex Burkhead showed out. It was the game that I think at that time, if not still, was the largest deficit ever erased. Uh, by a Nebraska Husker football team. And we had the benefit of Joe Bowserman throwing footballs all over and out of Memorial Stadium. <laughs> so there were a lot of factors at play, but it does give you hope heading into this weekend, doesn't it? No. <laughs> John, I'm trying to get you fired up. You, you, you're a little uh, melancholy. You know, that, uh, that comeback game against Ohio State was the fuck thread. <laughs> that was the game thread in which I told everybody they couldn't swore in game threads through the season because people complained to me about the coronation wasn't a family site. And I told everybody to uh, not do any swearing and, and we were down. So what was it? 27 to three. And, uh, and I, I posted this thing that said, uh, fucking football team can't fucking tackle, can't fucking block, can't fuck, 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 fuck. And two plays after I posted that, I think Levante David, no, was it, who was it hit Braxton Miller and he fumbled? Was it Levante David? I think it was. I, I, I have some standout moments in that game. Uh, Rex Burkhead's, uh, uh, you know, touchdown, like Superman jumping, uh, you know, to get to the pylon. The one that really sticks out to me is a, a Stanley Jean-Baptiste interception because uh, famously he had just moved to the defensive side of the ball that week or, or maybe, you know, earlier in the season. So he didn't have a ton of reps uh, on defense, but, but he came through in a big way. Um, but, but yeah, see, that's the thing about Levante David is I know he was a stud here uh, and, and he's, you know, I've, I've said it for years. He's one of my favorite Huskers. But I can never like quite place, you know, in, he would have been here just after in Dominican Sue. Like, I mean, they, they didn't play together uh, on even because he, he, and, been... he, and Yoshi, he and Yoshi arrived at 2010 from Fort Scott. Right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much, John. You're welcome, Greg. <laughs> I, John, I'm going to do something to get you fired up tonight. <sighs> It's okay. It's not. Yeah. This is a this is the peaceful man. I just feel peace in my heart and I, I hope we pull it out and beat the buckeyes, but you know things are tough right now. So is this is this apathy or complacency or is no, this I was, you just I I was listening intently to your one score thing and I was gleaning data from it. Okay. This is this is what I do when I listen intently to somebody instead of interrupting them all the time. I don't mind you interrupting me. I I was about to go off on a tangent. I'm I'm not going to do that. Um, But at least when you interrupt me, it's entertaining. 
And I would much rather have, and I think the listeners and viewers on YouTube would much rather have a John Johnston rant than anything that I say. So, Oh my God, it gets exhausting though. I, it, I imagine. Every once in a while, you just got to step back and go, wow, what do I have to be thankful for here? Mm-hmm. That's fair. Uh, but <laughs> is the season for thanks. Oh, it look is. At Todd, look at Todd, uh, you know, bringing it home. I feel like, Todd, will you be our default to Ted Lasso? Here it you is. Know, if, if only I could be a measure of the man Ted Lasso. That I think I will. I think that's going to be like my life goal is to become as much like Ted Lasso as humanly possible. And John, will you be our Roy, Roy Kent? I still have to watch the rest of that, damn it. That's fine. I think you can handle Roy Kent. All you got to do is swear a lot and be the smartest person in the room. You know, I'm only on the fourth episode of the first season. You're missing out. Oh, I I apologize. That's a tangent. I didn't mean to get off on a tangent. No, Um, just stop. You know, here's the this last month has been work all day on stuff and work on firewalls at night. And it's really been frustrating. You get paid overtime. Well, I get paid. I don't really, it's not really overtime. Okay. It's just a billable rate. Gotcha. So, but after a while, I mean, after a while, what is money, Greg? What is that? But what makes the world go around the crushing capitalism, destroying the planet? And of course, we've lifted everybody out of poverty with capitalism. Todd would disagree because he's a socialist commie bastard. But, you know, really, how much more money do any of us really need? Well, you, I think Nebraska is going to start worrying about it because they place such a heck of an emphasis on selling out that stadium. And um, we'll see what happens. They also what have, to have a, $150 million uh, here in the next few years to pay off the new facility. So uh, you slimy capitalist pigs need to figure out some way to – uh, make sure that Nebraska's uh, premier athletic program uh, is still bringing money into the coffers. I think we can do that with bake sales. <laughs> bake sales, brownies, brownies. Cinnamon rolls and chili. No, Every- brownies with the funny stuff in them, and everybody's handing out the cash. I thought you were talking about actual like fundraisers, and you said bake sales. I'm like, all right, car washes. Uh, you know what else can we do to to raise some we, funds? We here? can mobilize every church in the state of Nebraska to have a chili supper with cinnamon rolls on the same day to benefit Nebraska football. This is the problem: is everybody says we're going back to the '90s when really we need to go back to the '60s. Every one of those church bake sales has to have Jello salads <laughs> with vegetables in them. Shredded vegetables. God, Todd, why do you have to say things that are just ridiculous? (laughs) Why? People ate that stuff, Greg. Come on. So I'm 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 used to like Jello molds. uh, Wham! We're off on a tangent. (laughs) (laughs) Got to bring it back. Bring it back, Greg. Bring it back. Okay. Well, I want to talk about the sellout streak. Um, So let's do that, and then I want to talk some more about that loss against Purdue because it was atrocious. It shouldn't have never happened, Um, and that's you know. Purdue's not a good team, you know, and, and sorry, I, I don't think Travis Miller's listening this week, um, but I got a lot of shit for that. For what? 
for saying Pulling that track. Purdue is for, for, for being on YouTube and saying oh, repeatedly that the Big Ten West is not full of good teams. There's a lot of people are kind of a little angry with me about that. Especially well, they're not Purdue realists. People. No, they're not. They're not. They're not. But let's let's talk about Purdue and then I want to come okay. back to the sellout streak. I want to try to do things in, in somewhat of a uh, so I feel like Purdue was a, a regression for Adrian Martinez. Um, you know, four touchdowns, not necessarily all of them were uh, entirely his fault. Uh, is as I think, you know, maybe a ball was tipped once or something like that, or, or, um, but I think you I, had a Freudian slip there, Greg. You said four touchdowns. I think you were. I, I wishful thinking. I'm sorry. Four interceptions. <laughs> someday, someday we'll talk about a quarterback throwing four touchdowns. <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like this is not a tangent. This is a correlation. I feel like uh, uh, Aragorn at the, uh, in Return of the King, he's a, but it is not this day. Anyway, um, we'll get a quarterback who, who can throw the ball uh, and put it on the money uh, with consistency. It just he won't have a last name of Martinez. He probably won't be from the state of California, if we're being honest. Um, it, you know, four, four, incom- or four interceptions, a, a ton of missed opportunities. Um, and I think what, what chaps my ass the most about the quarterback situation is that afterwards, Scott, you know, when there was a question about if Martinez was going to sit down or something like that, and, and Scott very quickly shot that down and says he gives us our best opportunity to win. The quarterback who just threw four interceptions to Purdue just is your best chance to win. Either doesn't say anything about your the other quarterbacks in your quarterback room or coaching or recruiting – but there is a massive disconnect there if the guy who just threw four picks is your best opportunity to win. What do you think, Todd? I, I think that Adrian Martinez, uh, once again, is, is banged up more than what we're aware of. But I also am convinced that um, – you know, uh, Coach Verdue always talks about quick blink. And I just don't think that Adrian Martinez has the capacity to um, make the right decision out on the field, to, to understand, that might not even be the right word, but to, to know where the open receivers should be. And, uh, you know, I've, I've made excuses throughout the year saying that you know, the, the first thing that Adrian Martinez had to figure out is where was the guy coming from or the guys coming from that were going to sack him. Um, you know, that was his first check down. Against Purdue, that was not an issue, except for a couple of times when they had big old number five man child out there on the field. Uh, there were a couple of times he made our tackles look like peewee players. Uh, but other than that, Adrian Martinez had plenty of time to get passes off. And, you know, the beauty of being in the stadium where our seats are, I can see the whole field very, very well, almost a bird's eye view. And it was incredible how many times there were open receivers um, or receivers were open early. And by the time he threw the ball, they weren't, they weren't open anymore. That is frustrating. 
Logan Smothers, um, I, I, Scott Frost, I think, um, overthought, you know, that he said that he thought about it during the game. Um, so why didn't he pull the trigger? It, people like to say he's hitching his wagon to, to Martinez. And an analogy I thought of riding home the other day is Scott Frost is the dad coach that fails to see his son's weaknesses. And he can't, he can't make himself pull his son from the game because he is so concerned about how bad he's going to crush his son and what that's going to do to his relationship. That's the way I see it. It's a really good, I've never come up, you know, I I didn't think about that analogy, but I I like it quite a bit. And I think it has a lot of merit. Um, Yeah. I mean, when, when, Frost first came and, you know, Adrian Martinez was recruited, committed, you know, and, and we get it that, you know, when Frost took the job, he had a very small recruiting period for that opening class. And he also was trying to, you know, coach UCF uh, to and through a bowl game. So, you know, a lot was on his plate, but he, he had brought in Martinez, you know, Andrew Bunch, um, Oh, now the name escapes the kid who went on to uh, Rutgers. Noah Bedrill. Thank you. Yeah, I was gonna say in my my when when that failed, if nobody if nobody picked up the name, then I was be like, you know, he suited up for the Nebraska ball <laughs> in the Big Ten yeah. tournament for a game. You know, I was gonna go make make that reference, but uh, uh, you know, he brought in a lot of people, and he, somehow he still stuck with the true freshman QB who didn't play a single snap in, in the senior year of high school. So that meant he went from junior year to the big 10. And that's like me, you know, I stopped playing little league baseball at age like 11. And then I tried playing, you know, in high school. And that's a, that's a big jump. Uh, I don't know if it's as big as junior year of, you know, probably some relatively high level of high school football to the big 10, but it's not, you know, it's just not a, a small step. It's it's a giant leap for all quarterback kind. Well, my perspective is much more insidious. Because <laughs> I'm honest to God starting to feel like uh, Adrian Martinez is Scott Frost's scapegoat. Because if you go out, I mean, comments on our website, we moderate our website. So we get rid of a lot of people that are just complete assholes. But if you get, I look at a lot of social media, I look at Twitter, I look at Facebook pages, and there's so many people that are like, we'll be fine without Adrian Martinez. And it is, you're kind of like, okay, you're blaming all of this on one fucking guy who Scott Frost won't pull for whatever reason. And it also almost feels to me like Frost is like, yeah, fuck it. You know, they're going to blame Adrian. I don't like he doesn't give a shit about the guy at all. You know, John, it's interesting you say that because one of the days I was driving home this week, I was listening to the uh, Nick Handley show and they had a poll on there. And, you know, the basically there were four questions. You know, what is your preference? Keep Scott, you know, Scott Frost comes back next year. Adrian Martinez doesn't. Martinez comes back. Frost is gone. Both come back. Both are gone. By a landslide. The people that were calling in, 
it was like 75 to 80 percent of the people, their choice was Frost comes back, Martinez is gone. Now, what a what a excellent job he's done. Well, I, you know, here's my thing. And, and, you know, we've expressed it before. There's not a player on this current roster that has given more than Adrian Martinez. There are some that has given as much, but no one's given anymore. Or there are some who've been, you know, given quite a bit, but haven't been there for four years. You know what I mean? Sure. I'll, I'll go with that. But, you know, this kid has been a warrior and they've carried him off on his shield more than once. And I don't think ultimately um, he's been, he's been treated fairly. And part of that is, is removing him from a game or not playing him in a game when he can't succeed, you know, and I'm not making all kinds of excuses for Adrian Martinez. No way that that kid would ever be a Heisman caliber quarterback. He's, he's not. But the fact that in some way Scott Frost has insulated him and that's, that's almost been to his detriment. Just real quick, you know, my analogy to coach dad that can't pull his son, the other kind of coach dad is the one that is harder on his son than he is on any other player. And people feel bad about, you know, the abuse that those, those kids take. Now that's, I don't see that. That's not Scott Frost, but um, I think, and, and Ohio state's probably not the time to start Logan Smothers, but I think that Logan Smothers needs to start having series in the Ohio state game, the Wisconsin game and the Iowa game uh, in preparation for going forward. And if you want to put Henry Carberg in there for a few snaps too, do it. You know, damn well, he's not going to do that. I know he's not. Okay. Tell me this guys. Why is, why is, and, and I haven't gotten an answer to this. Why is Adrian Martinez's jaw wired up this week? Probably from that. What was the Northwestern or Michigan? Was it, it was Northwestern or Michigan state. He got hit in the face and had to go off the field for a while. And mm-hmm. now they're finally wiring his jaw. <laughs> and and how knows. is he going to be able to communicate during the game with a wired jaw? I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, they're going to do story. clapping. I, I'm going to share an anecdote that I hope, uh, uh, doesn't fall into tangent, uh, category, but years ago, we know, you know, that I started my radio career out in uh, the panhandle in Nebraska, but Shadron. And, you know, so I was the voice of the Shadron Cardinals for high school football, basketball, things like that. Just a, a team just a little bit down the road was the Gordon Bronx. Uh, while I was out there, they merged with uh, Rushville uh, to become the Gordon Rushville Mustangs. And there was a kid out there who first week of the season, I, I heard about it from the coach the next day. Uh, first week of the season, I, I think he was on kickoff return or something like that, but got tackled by the, the, the defender, you know, hit him underneath the – the face mask right in the jaw with the crown of his helmet broke his jaw in three places. Jaw was wire shut. I went out there, you know, talk, had a conversation. He was up 
you know, I, that next week I, I visited him uh, at, at the high school out there. You know, he was as upbeat as he could be. Uh, he comes back for the uh, the playoffs and helps Gordon Rushville beat Shatteron. And I've never liked the kids. At no, okay. Terrific kid. He went on to play at Shatteron State. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's – he missed from – literally from the first week of the season to, uh, you know, the, the first week of the playoffs because of, of having a broken jaw. Um, I don't know, you know, if in his jaw was wired shut and he was, you know, doing liquid diet. So I don't know how, you know, a quarterback who has to be able to communicate is going to be able to do that. Yeah, you, you both, you know, I think John or maybe Todd, I don't know, uh, said, oh, 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 oh. I mean, it's, it's almost impossible. If, if anything, if, if Frost ever was looking at a time to be able to put him on the bench, now would be the time, right? I mean, you've got an actual excuse. It has nothing to do with performance. It has to do with the fact that it's Kinjala's wired shut. You know what? The good news is, is that if we lose to Ohio State, he'll have a different excuse this time. But Adrian couldn't communicate properly because his jaw was wired shut. And if so that is did, the excuse. We didn't have any other quarterbacks that could play. If that's the excuse, that if they trot Adrian out there and he gets thrown around, abused, uh, et cetera, and that's the excuse that they give, well, he couldn't communicate because his jaw was wired shut yet, you know, exactly like you laid out, John, then Trev Alberts needs to walk Scott Frost to his office, have him collect his things and walk him out never to return because that is bullshit. That is an excuse. uh, That is an intolerable excuse because you do have other quarterbacks, even if you're, even if they're not as experienced, even if you don't have as much confidence, if you're going to send a kid out there with his fucking jaw wired shut, and you're going to trot him out there to get his ass handed to him by, you know, a potential college football playoff contender, then you – it is no longer about wins and losses, in my opinion. And, and, and tell me if I'm right or wrong, it's about player safety. I remember uh, the, the Michigan coach at the time uh, escapes my, my name. Brady Hoke. Thank you. I was going to say one of the big fat ones uh, who, uh, when the quarterback was visibly like – unsteady because he'd just been concussed and he's trotting out there for another play or two before they actually pull him off. That's another situation. You got to have, you got to be thinking a little bit more about what, you know, a little less about wins and losses, more about player safety. If you want to get up in arms about, you know, targeting or roughing the passer or, or, or any of the on the field things that happen in a football game, but you're going to trot somebody out there when they have a jaw wired shut, when they are not hundred percent physically ready to go. See you later. I ain't got time for you. I don't care. I don't care if you're Scott Frost or Nick Saban. Bigger well, things than football. I've, I've been saying it for years. Something that's a little curious to me is why haven't we heard more about this? You know, about this know. jaw situation. I mean, it's, from, it's my understanding that it is confirmed, but why, why, why isn't this something that has been, you know, elaborated upon in, in the mainstream media? I, I don't understand that. And, you know, I'll say this. If it isn't confirmed, if I'm buying into, you know, a wild goose chase, then, you know, I, I apologize for spreading that rumor. But Sean I mean, Callahan tweeted it. Okay. So Sean Callahan's pretty Sean Callahan doesn't, he doesn't do goose chases. Rumor right. and innuendo. Yeah. So, I, you know, 
another thing that I, about the um, Purdue game that there, there are a couple things that really bother me. And, you know, for, for a long time, I've been the defender of coaches and, and I always will remain a defender of coaches. I was a coach, uh, unless you've coached, unless you've put in the time, unless you've, you know, uh, gone through all of that, you know, it, it's pretty easy to be a critic. And, and I understand that. Um, but I'm also a fan and, you know, fans are going to be the armchair quarterbacks. And what I don't understand is, you know, people can talk all they want to about, you know, why isn't Xavier Betts on the field more? You know, why don't we see, you know, some of these people that have some incredible gifts? Why aren't we getting them the ball, et cetera? But I ran across this in one of the articles I was reading. There were two times in this Purdue game when they ran a double tight end set with receivers split wide to both sides and Jacques Yant on the field as a running back. And both of the, in, in both instances, um, when they played from that set, Yant just had massive yards. I, 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 I'm not going to, I can't remember how many, but big gains. And that's the only time that they used that set during the game. And it's frustrating for me then to hear a quote from Austin Allen after the game where, you know, he's being asked questions about play calling and some of that kind of stuff. And his, and his answer is, was as honest as the day is long. We still had plays on our sheet. So it's, I used to be a, a huge critic of Sean Watson and who was the damn coordinator that we had after Watson that, that was from KU. Um, Kim I don't know. Who? Kim Beck. Beck. Yes. Those guys were in love with their playbooks. Yeah. And, and it just drove me absolutely nuts that it was imperative for those guys to run as many different plays and show how brilliant their, their, their offense is in every damn game. I don't understand whatever happened to the philosophy. Well, uh, P.J. Fleck has it. Make them stop what you're doing. If you can get 10 yards a pop, you keep doing the damn thing until they shut it down. And so does that mean that the only plays that we can run from a double tight set with Jacquez Yant in the backfield, it's just that one running play? Bullshit. Scott Frost needs to understand that he has an arsenal that's effective and he has plays that are not. And why he doesn't consistently stick with things that are working is just beyond me. I, you know, I, I don't, this is why I don't think he has three games to prove that he still belongs at Nebraska. I mean, if he goes three and nine, it comes back. I, I don't know why anybody would even give a fuck about this football program, you know, until we win seven games in a row next year or something. But, uh, this is exactly what drives me insane about frost is you look at his offense and it, it make, there's no cohesive, to it there's no plays that we run consistently that we make yardage on you know i mean when you're running uh, third and two what's he gonna run you know damn well what pj flex is gonna run he's either gonna run a slant or he's gonna run like a nickel duo zone play right but or he's gonna do that thing what he did where he did with cole kramer where he has the other quarterback come in and it's basically gonna be like a 
type of wildcat, except it's with a different quarterback. He has sets for that, for short yardage situations. One of those broke our back in that game. But that's the thing with Scott. That's why uh, he and I are in first name basis. He's one score, Scott. And uh, this is why I just don't think he can come back, why he's not going to win any more games. Because I have no – there's no nothing you can look at that you look at our offense and go, oh, well, that's working all the time. No, I, I – I agree. And, you know, then they throw in some wrinkles, some things that I personally have been begging for, you know, like when it's fourth and inches or fourth and one line up under center, and then they line up under center and they shit the bed. They piss down their leg. Uh, and and they then, did that on purpose, Greg, just for you. I know. I know. That was an F you to the fam. That was an F you to Greg. That it was. was. It was. It was. <laughs> and, and when See it what happens, happens? <laughs> when it we happens, can't do this. So I watched the Minnesota game. I, I think I talked about this. Uh, you know, I, I was in Minnesota, or Minnesota. I was in Nebraska. I was in the, uh, the in Scott's Bluff gearing area, watching that with my, uh, my buddy, friend of the show, Josh. And when they, when it was fourth and inches at the goal line and I said under center and I'm yelling and I'm yelling and I'm yelling and it did no good. And so when it was fourth and inches or fourth in the yard or whatever, they went under center and they failed, he sent me a message. He's like, that's why they don't go under center. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I made the point to him after, and I'm not, I'm not trying to backtrack, but, uh, regarding Adrian Martinez, I said to Josh, uh, after the game, I said, Martinez doesn't suck. He just is really bad when he needed, when we need him to be really good, you know, like in, in potential game winning drives, uh, I, and we've talked about it, you know, we can. I'll get right to you, John. Uh, but you know, we 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 like the kid, and we know that he's a hard worker. But it, there there's something, you know. It, it, as much as I like his attitude, I like his drive, and I like the fact that while he probably doesn't appreciate being thrown under the bus, you know, each week or whatever it is, uh, you know, he handles it with a certain amount of dignity, uh, you know, and and he. I feel like is more sometimes more accountable than his head coach, uh, yeah. you know, in certain regards. But um, you know, he, he's got three games left, in my opinion. And this is assuming he he starts in and plays in all. He has three games left at Nebraska. You know, go, go ahead, John. You you mentioned on all you were mentioned in that one game score one score mm-hmm. game thing earlier. You know, remember the guys we had on those teams? We had guys that just wouldn't lose. We had um, Rex Burkhead, right? Mm-hmm. That guy was just a, a grinder. He was just a guy that played like Sandlot football. Amir Abdullah. What do they call it now? Kill the carrier? <laughs> we can't oh, yeah, call it what we called him, it anymore. He's politically correct, please, Mr. Yes. Whoa. <clears throat> I mean, he played football like that, and he was wonderful to watch. Amir Abdullah was another guy that just was like a guy that I'm not going to lose. People remember the Hail Mary play against Northwestern, yeah. but they don't remember the play before that. And the play before that was, I think, a fourth down in like 12 or something. And Amir Abdullah picked that up on right. his own. Right. And we do not have a player that does that now. We don't yeah. have an p- offensive player that says, oh, we need a score. I'm going to go get it. Because the He's- only guy you put in charge of this entire fucking offense is obviously not capable of doing it, but you keep trotting him out there every week. I, I want to, since you mentioned it, uh, you know, Amir Abdullah in that that play leading up to the Hail Mary, um, that gets forgotten because it was not, you know, it, it 
certainly was a very important part in, uh, of the game-winning you know, drive, et cetera. But everybody remembers the run against McNeese State because that was the game-winning run, you know. Right. Um, but, but you're right. I, I feel like there's a young guy in, in the running back room who's going to be that guy, you know. Um, maybe it's a Jacquez Yant. Maybe it's a Gabe Urban. Uh, I feel like there's a young guy who's going to, you know, like put the team on his back. And I feel like Martinez wants to be that guy. It's just not working out. Um, and and there, you know, for all the all the beautiful, you know, runs that he's had that have extended, you know, extended a, a series, a possession, or even for a score. He, he's got the bad decisions, and then he has, you know, like leaving the, the wide receivers, the wide open wide receivers, leaving them, leaving them hanging out to dry. My thing, if you want to, ask, if you were to ask me, or somebody were to ask me, who I feel the worst for, it's for this defense because you know, we, we've hardly talked about them because all they do week in and week out really is their job. You know, they're they're not getting blown out. You know, I'm a knock on wood because we have Ohio State coming in, and I feel like this is going to be a situation where the offense is not going to be on the field too often. The time of possession is going to be heavily favored, you know, in, in Ohio state's favor. And I think the defense is going to get winded about midway through the third quarter. So I think this one might actually get out of hand uh, for that reason, but that's, that's a group that is, is playing their nuts off. Uh, and because of the, you know, the special teams blunders because of the uh, offensive output, they have very little to show for. So I feel bad for the guys on the, on the defensive side of the ball. Todd. Well, I, you I, were I at the, that. You, you know, were I, at the I, game. I, I was frustrated with the defense a little bit in the Purdue game because of, you know, just the, um, that soft zone that they continue to play. Um, it was frustrating to watch. Um, you know, it seemed like Purdue, especially in the second half when they got the ball, um, just could not stop them. Um, they did not allow David Bell, you know, to have that big play. Um, but, you know, number zero and number eight, um, they got quite a few passes on that day. But I agree with you, Greg. When did people start leaving the stadium? Um, th- there were a lot of people. I mean, I've never seen so many people leave as early. And it was after that um, first Nebraska drive in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, two minutes in, two or three minutes in to the fourth quarter. Uh, people were leaving in droves, including yours truly. And um, we, uh, well, I, uh, part of that is, is that anymore where we sit, it's pretty damn difficult for my dad uh, to get up and down in there. And so we do like to leave before the crowd is just absolutely, you know, everybody's leaving. But when we were down below in the concourse, and especially when we were outside the stadium, the bridge on the west side of the stadium that goes north was packed with Nebraska fans walking across that bridge. So there were a hell of a lot of people that got out of that stadium before we did. And I have never seen that kind of exodus that early in the game. Never. I think, I think something honest to God, my observation from sitting on my ass on my couch and watching this on TV 
was that Nebraska broke in the third quarter. They just broke. Something broke and it's not going to get repaired. It literally, you talked about the defense not being able to stop Purdue. Well, I'll give you this. The defense has been playing their ass off all year, and they've watched an offense be led by the same guy over and over and over who throws the ball away, gives the game away. And I think, honest to God, in the third, fourth quarter, that defense just said, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. Not all of them. JoJo Doman's going to play until he's bloody all over the field. But you got to have 11 guys going in the same direction, a la row the boat sloganeering. And I don't think we're going to see that again. I don't think, I think honestly, Ohio State is just going to beat the fucking living shit out of us because I don't see a team that wants to be there anymore. And I, I hope that that's wrong. But I, I how many times are you going to do the same fucking thing and then blame the players for it? How many well, times are you going to blame the same guy? Let's That's let's talk it. about you know, this. Adrian Martinez, thing. the scapegoat for Scott Frost. Let's talk about this culture a little bit. The culture that has turned the corner. The culture that uh, has been uh, so important to build with this team. And it's interesting that apparently this culture includes the head coach not even addressing the team at the end of the ballgame. He couldn't even give a perfunctory, you know what, fellas, this one got away from us. You know what, fellas, you know, appreciate the effort. You know what, fellas, there's another day, another game. He couldn't even bring himself to do that. And he wants to talk about culture Bullshit. Bullshit. I was told I was told this week that. uh, Okay, I wasn't told. Let me rephrase this. (laughs) I was led to believe that he was learning these coaching tactics from Tom Osborne, and that's what Tom Osborne would have done. And I kind of looked at that comment and i thought i you know tom osborne had a unity council that was full of people that had been there for years and years and and a winning team that was there for years and years and he had a system to doing things as a coach that was around for years and years and scott frost has none of that shit so i i looked at that too and i thought okay well i guess you know so much for leadership i i want to talk about we it's been much ballyhooed, you know, for years is, is the, the various learning trees that Frost has sat under Osborne, Kelly, Belichick, um, Joe Walsh, Tomlin. Joe Walsh, Walsh. Joe Walsh, <laughs> Joe Walsh Joe played Walsh. for the Eagles. Life's <laughs> been good to me <laughs> so far. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, Bill, Bill, uh, Parcells. That was the other one, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, all these, all these tremendous coaches. I feel like at some point, you know, you're supposed to take a little bit, you know, what works from every, every camp and incorporate that into, uh, you know, what you're doing. You can't just, and, and look, I know it's Nebraska and, and Tom Osborne's a, a saint and I'm not disputing that. And I'm not arguing that. And I'm not trying to sway anybody's minds against that, but, 
the the Tom Osborne way of coaching, the Tom Osborne style of play, doesn't necessarily work in two o two one. Guys, how many of those coaches that everybody you know talks about having this influence? You know the all of this coaching influence that Scott Frost has learned from. Under how many of those coaches was Scott Frost a coach? It's not when Chip Scott Kelly. Frost was under those people, he was a player. Right. He's learning to play. Learning to play is a hell of a lot different than learning to coach. Yeah. I Otherwise, don't know all how the players many former players I've heard who are young coaches that say, man, I played football in Nebraska, but I had no idea that there was this much to coaching. Yeah. He coached under Chip Kelly. Yeah. Who's going to get fired from UCLA? <laughs> he is, probably. Maybe, well, we could swap. Maybe we could swap. I can't imagine that ending well for anybody. <laughs> no. You guys didn't go for that, huh? Yeah. Uh, so I want we we've talked about culture and and when we uh, uh, teed it up at the beginning of the show or, or at least earlier in the show, I want to talk about the sellout streak. And I'm bringing it up again because if you haven't listened uh, to Coronation Radio, uh, an episode that dropped Thursday of this week, aka yesterday, our very own Patrick Gerhart sat down with the. Uh, a uh, Husker fan, friend of mine, an executive producer of 1011 News, and internet darling Brett Baker. You can follow him uh, on Twitter at Brett S. Baker uh, for you know Husker thoughts and, and other uh, uh, shenanigans. Uh, but they were talking about the sellout streak, and, and Brett made a good point that I, I hadn't thought about. You know, I've always been kind of a defender of the sellout streak. I, I've never really shied away from that. You know, it's, hey, if we're, we're going to have something, you know, it, it, we're not winning games. We we should at least win something somewhere, right? Um, and the fact that this thing's been going on for 50 years, uh, so it's it's cool. You know, we hang our hat on the sellout streak. But Brett made a real good point that I hadn't thought about before. And I, I, I'm not saying Brett's the first person to think about this, and I'm not saying it hasn't come up in other circles. But you know, when we talk about dollars and cents. And Todd, when you mentioned the the exodus, the mass exodus of people leaving the Purdue game as early as they did, we have a fan base that is loyal to a fault. You're guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. We'll we'll show up. We'll watch the Huskers uh, because we you know hope for the best every week. We end up drinking too much, crying too much, you know, getting pissed off, etc. Maybe we make a, a video and it gets 25 some thousand views, whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, but we, we do it because we, we, we go into every Saturday uh, with belief that something's going to go right. We sell out Memorial Stadium. And even if it's not a you know true organic sellout, if it's a corporation buying up a bunch of tickets or if it's a, you know, um, the, the program they rolled out at the beginning of this year that, that the name escapes me, but, but it, was a, it was a nice nice touch you know uh how else were you going to get anybody to go to the fordham game um but until the university starts feeling that pinch in the pocketbook from there being 20 25 000 unsold tickets 
to Memorial Stadium every year, they probably think that there's still a little meat on the bone, that there's still a little bit of time. They don't have to rush into any decisions. Uh, now, certainly they have the financial backing of the deal with the Big Ten Network, you know, and, and that is a very lucrative deal. And it's probably why Nebraska is in the Big Ten, if I'm being honest. Um, but until it, 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 it kind of dawned on me in listening to this conversation between Patrick and Brett that our loyalty to the program, which while it's a good thing, is also sometimes I think perhaps detrimental because it's not going to force the issue to the athletic administration um, because we're still giving them our, our hard-earned dollars. And I get it if you have had season tickets for you know 60 years and three generations, you don't just want to take your name off that list because you're never going to get them back. So I get it. But I'm, I've come to the point now that I'm fine with the sellout streak ending. I don't care about the sell. And we got two more home games and they're going to be big ones. So they're you know going to be sold out Ohio state and Iowa. Uh, and then on the road to camp Randall, John, I'm pretty sure you've got your media credentials by now for that. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but I, if the sellout streak ends, I'm fine with it because at, at some point, you know, money talks and bullshit walks. Right. Uh, so a, a statement has to be made that Nebraska fans are going to start doing something else with their Saturday afternoons. If this is, you know, the, the product that we're going to get on the field, you know, if, if we have to, you know, figuratively, I'm not advocating for any, any uh, felon felony crimes here, but if we have to figuratively burn it to the ground, I'm fine. I, I'm, I'm not apathetic because apathy is the worst thing that can happen, but I, I'm, I'm fed up. You know, I'd say I'm almost the opposite. I'm fed up to the point that, you know, I want to see some wholesale change because like everybody else, you know, I, I've taken time away, you know, from being productive. I could be spending the three, three and a half hours mowing the yard, you know, painting a deck, cleaning the house, doing something useful rather than sitting on the couch, you know, getting angry and angry as the day goes on. Um, Instead, I'm sitting on the couch getting angrier and angrier as the day goes on. So that's my rant about the sellout streak. I, I think in past conversations, guys, I, both of you are fine with it going away? Like you don't the, see the purpose of it anymore? The sellout streak has been propped up. It's, it's, it's phony. It's artificial. I get that. It's artificial. And you how, know, how many if, years? If, if you had to guess, Todd, and I'm not, I'm not trying to put you on spot, if you, but how many years do you think it's been – that it's been artificial. 15? Oh, no. I would say within the last 15 years, there have been years where you would, you would have to say it's been legit. But it's it's happened more than once. Hell, it happened back, um, you know, in the Solich days. Um, you know, it kind of goes in waves. But, you know, they are <laughs> – when you got a two-for-one ticket sale for Purdue – when you have to, and, and, you know, God, you know, I'm going to sound like just an absolute asshole when I say this, but when you have to give away tickets to underprivileged kids, you know, sell them to sell them to wealthy boosters who will get a tax write off because they're donating tickets to kids who would never see a Nebraska game. Otherwise it is propped up. Yeah. So let's get over it. Let's, let's get that number 
whatever that number is, carve it in granite, you know, carve it in the stadium somewhere so that people can forever remember that Nebraska had 300 and what is it? 84, 85 sellouts and, you know, whatever it's. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Oh, God sorry, damn it. Man. You guys in this fucking, it's not, it's not an organic sell. They sell the tickets. Okay. I, I get so that. Sell out. I get it is that, a sellout, and it's not about that. It's about putting butts in the seats and having money come into the athletic department. That's what it's about. Not necessarily a streak. That's the marketing aspect of it. But it's still the fact that Nebraskans go to the football games and they spend money downtown. They spend money in the Haymarket area and they buy beer and they buy T-shirts and they buy, I don't balloons. know, whatever the fuck else. Yeah, what? It, well, balloons, that one can go away. Kill birds. Yeah, exactly. But they spend money on Nebraska football. And if this continues, they're not going to spend money on Nebraska football. And that includes our media. You know what I mean? You've already seen uh, the Omaha and Lincoln newspapers merge their media departments. And I know a lot of people go, oh, fuck on the press. It is all biased anyway. But, you know, we, we need those people just like we need the bartenders down the Haymarket. So, Get more knowledge. That's, from the that's the decision point for Trev Alberts. He can decide but in the next three games. He has to make the choice at the end of this fucking season. Is he going to save a coach or is he going to save a program? And if he chooses, I'm going to save my buddy Scott, then he can possibly shit the rest of this down the toilet because he's going to go through a whole offseason if there are no changes where people are going to go like, fuck this. I don't care about this anymore. Well, I, Which will be a really big shame. I, I say it, I, I agree with you, but I also think that, you know, because we, we do it here at Coronation, we've been guilty of it on the Five Heart Podcast for, you know, five or whatever years. And, and you know, in all Husker podcasts before that is, you know, when August starts rolling around, we get awfully excited again. And we start looking at that schedule like, oh, I think this is a bull eligible team or I think this is an eight, nine, ten win team or hell, if things go right, we might be playing in Indianapolis. You know, we do that every year. Uh, so um, no. let's just let's. St- no, let's. What do you mean? No, no, that won't happen this year. You know, if there are no cha- if we go three and nine and there are no changes and no changes to staff, no changes whatsoever, people will spend this offseason figuring out other shit they will do besides watching and paying attention to Husker football. I agree with you. I agree. I can you. almost guarantee that because this last offseason was terrible. It was brutal. It really was. It, it was just terrible. And, you know, for people listening, we have to come up with content. That's our job. And I've already thought, you know, if we have to go through another offseason like this last one, I, we're going to become, I don't know, a historical site. We're going to do something. We're going to write fiction. I don't fucking care. But I'm not going to come up with football content just to shit football content out my ass for a program I may not give a shit about. So that's the problem is by the time full rolls around and everybody goes, I'm getting excited. You know what I might get excited about? I might get excited about fucking gopher football. How about that? Huh? How about all them expatriates all over the nation that go to all the gatherings and shit, the Californians for Nebraska and the Ohio State people for Nebraska? Wait, maybe they'll just decide, fuck it. I think I'll watch the Rams this week. I think the NFL, you know, looks pretty good. That's what's going to happen. 
And that's what Trev Alberts faces as a decision. Unless Scott Frost can pull his head out of his ass in the next three games, get rid of his play sheet, figure out why, why his offense has 42 red zone opportunities this year, the most in the Big Ten with their offense is number 16 in the nation, but they are 98th in red zone conversions because what, his fucking dick goes soft when he hits the red zone? Because he can't put Austin Allen in the game and throw him a pass? Jacquez Yant. Yeah, I, he gets to the red zone and he just falls on his face. Or, and because of fear of execution, you know, what's the, what's the failure to launch? <laughs> or think about this, because we've seen it a couple times now. Uh, it's the, you know, five minutes left in the game drive. You know, because I think we saw it against Minnesota. I think we saw it against Purdue. Well, I know we saw it against Purdue. It's you're down by two scores, but we're going to play some of our best football in that last drive or, you know, second to last drive to get down by one score so that we can keep this stat a-growing because we haven't had a loss this season that was, you know, more than one score. So we got to we gotta keep it close, even if it's an L. At least it's close. Um, against soft prevent defenses. Yeah. Well, Get off my ass, Todd. Damn it. I, I don't like being there, Greg. Doggone, yeah. Who was it we went to overtime with and we didn't even try in the last 30 seconds? Michigan State. Is that Michigan State? Yeah. Yeah, because it's oh my god, we might throw a long ball and it might get intercepted. It literally is if Adrian Martinez is gonna coach so much to not throw interceptions that he can't hit open receivers because he's afraid to throw the ball. And then when we get into crunch time, it's like, oh shit, now I have to throw the ball. And then we suddenly actually complete some passes. Remember Omar Manning's jump in the Oklahoma end zone? I haven't seen that fucking play since, have we? It, but this this coaching staff is I, I'm ready for the next three games. I will say that I will say one thing about Nebraska football that I think a lot of people would agree with, but not say out loud, and something I probably would have never thought before. I'm ready for this fucking season to be over. I really am. Don't get don't get that salty, John. We're gonna oh, win the next well, three. I am. I'm ang- just let's see what happens, motherfuckers. It's kind of like watching the show. I'll bench watch it all at once and then go, okay, that was neat. It's basketball season. That looks promising. It, it's funny. We, we you mentioned the a reference to Michigan State game, and that was the game that we held their you know all American candidate running back in check, you know, till till, very, till the very end. Or you know, I he, I don't think he had a, a huge run against us. Uh, but then, yeah, the offense sputtered. Uh, that that I think is the most frustrating is that if this team, if if we took the defense that against Michigan State and the offense against Northwestern, and the special teams against the bye week, and we put them together, we have a really good football team. But we can't get all all facets, all parts to you know coexist and, and play well on the same week. That's why it's happening in these next three games when we finish six and six, knocking off some ranked teams and then go bowling. And then hope springs eternal. We're going to have an off season of love and fun in the great Cornhusker state. <laughs> I'm for it. Let's do it. I'm, I'm, gonna, just... I'm driving all the way to Illinois on Saturday so I can be with you, Greg, so that can rub off on me because I'm <laughs> Bring it on. Uh, um, John, real quick, uh, before we get to predictions, because we've gone long enough. We uh, have. Wait, need... I had one more thing. Okay, well, okay. I, I wasn't done, but continue, please. Okay, go ahead. 
No, you first. I was going to move on to Ohio State. What do you have? I forgot what it was. Okay, perfect. Uh. Wait, son of a bitch. Oh, yeah, I know. One more thing that's fucking pissing me off this week. These people you see, if we fire Scott Frost, it'll take us four years to rebuild. And I can go through a four-year rebuild. It doesn't. You have fucking Mel Tucker, the, the giant-headed Mel Tucker. He has a giant head, doesn't he? Or is it just me saying that? <laughs> Maybe not. Okay, Mel Tucker has Michigan State in his second fucking re- season in the top ten and in the college playoff rankings. Second season. So it's going to take four years to rebuild it. Not with a coach that acts like a fucking coach. Mel Tucker's going to be the next coach at LSU. I'm calling it now. I think I he might go be right. To LSU. I wouldn't go to LSU. I wouldn't. I'd, be, I'd look at that and i go. That's because oh, purple's God. not a good color on you, John. Yeah, well, those people, I would go there to visit. I would love to see a night game <laughs> in Tiger Stadium and I would moon everybody with everybody else. But I, I wouldn't coach there. Jesus. That, right, so I, those I, people I, are insane. They are insane. I want to follow they up something. Back to alcoholism. Okay, go ahead. I want to follow up something you just said about uh, the, the online complaints of if you fire Scott Frost, it's going to take four years. I think if Scott Frost left after the Iowa game by, their, by his own choice or you know somebody else's, I feel like the, the cupboards are a little more full now than they were when yeah. Riley was here. Absolutely. Well, you know, I feel like the next person that's coming in doesn't have to do like a, a, a you know, a frame uh, frame up rebuild, you know, restoration. It's, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to fix some dents and, and maybe put a, a, a paint of coat on it. Um, but I, I feel, you know, if, if that's the, the direction that the football program goes, um, you know, all I can say is maybe there's a way they keep Eric Chenander because whatever he's doing on the defensive side of the ball, it seems to be working, you know, and, and that'd be a, that'd be a tough, tough sale because I know he, he and Scott are both. So anyway, I will, Ohio State uh, comes to town this Saturday night. John, in your Monday Night Live uh, recording, uh, you or, or live video, you had uh, Ramsey Nasrallah. I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, yep. From is it 11 Warriors? Yep. Cool. I'm, I'm two for two, uh, but he's an Ohio State fan. Um, what insight did he give? Because let's face it, I, I, I didn't watch or listen. <laughs> but what insight? Did I don't he know. Give? I honestly, I don't know why people would listen to me for an hour, but I guess they do. Uh, and they comment, would, and they're very interactive. Sometimes I get sick of myself talking. Anyway, uh, <laughs> he, I, I pointed out that Ohio State is very young, and they are very young. And it, their secondary is very young and inexperienced. Uh, their quarterback has figured it out. I mean, these freshman quarterback, they have a freshman. What's the running back's name? Hed, Hedgerton? God dang it, I'm missing it. Henderson that, guy is, that guy is phenomenal. But they're all freshmen, right? So I, I, this team next year is going to slaughter everything in their path. They're already doing that now, but this yeah. Ohio State team next year that we don't get to play unless we win the Big Ten West, uh, they will kill everything next year. This year, maybe they could be weak in the secondary. You know, if we actually went out and were aggressive and threw the ball down the field. 
I don't know. Maybe aliens could take control of Scott Frost's brain and say, hey, here's gonna, what's going to work this week, you motherfucker. Throw like, the ball like- to your really tall tight end that's going to play in the NFL. Maybe you should do that. Maybe you should have more than two fucking TD receptions on the season, you stupid shit-ass fuck. First of all, I'm glad we finally got to red-ass John Johnston. And <sighs> secondly, I love the fact that in your uh, alien scenario – they understand our game of American football and also uh, our foul language. So I, if they've that's the case, I'm ready. I'm ready for up, the- They've been observing us for years. And if, especially if it's mostly on game day, they're going to get it all at the same time. <laughs> Do you know why I've been wearing these do-rag things? Uh, to keep the aliens out of your head, out of your thoughts? To hide the tinfoil. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to our predictions. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. I'm, I'm very interested. It's a big noon kickoff uh, Saturday on Fox, which I'm going to pay attention because when they say big noon kickoff, they mean noon Eastern. <laughs> because I think the last time the Huskers were on big noon kickoff, I was like, yeah, God's time zone is the central time zone. Why would it be early? And I tuned in at 1130 and missed the first almost quarter. Um, now, if that was the Northwestern game, and I don't think it was, uh, then I'd happily miss the first quarter to watch uh, us beat the crap out of Ohio State. If, if the good Lord told me in a dream, hey, Greg, if you don't watch this game, Nebraska's going to win. They're going to win straight up. They're going to win by two scores. I'll set this one out. So, God. You have to go to bed for that dream to happen there. Okay. Well, I got to record. I mean, I got to edit and produce and upload and everything, all these podcasts and videos you make me do. So someday I'll get there, John. Someday. Anyway, uh, let's get to our predictions. Todd, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Nebraska, Ohio State, 11 a.m. Central on Fox, part of the big noon uh, kickoff. Tell me what you think. Wait, 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 wait. I can guess Todd's prediction. I'm going to go out on a limb, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) 35, 21, Ohio State. Oh. Uh, Okay, well, here's how we, we had, we picked Nebraska to beat Oklahoma. And Oklahoma was in the top five, I think, at the time. So that makes me sad, Todd. Six weeks ago, I may have picked it 35-21 Nebraska. But here and now, 35-21 Ohio State. You know, here and now, oh, that's a tangent. I can't, I can't get off the tangent. Okay, go on, John. Well, I, I tell you what, they're going to have this possession, that possession, none of the fucking shit will matter. Here's what's going to happen in this game. Nebraska is going to go out, and if Nebraska starts well, they're going to feel buoyed, and it's going to be a game all the way into the third quarter, like 10 minutes left in the third quarter. And if we start out poorly, like we go three and out, it's going to just be an ass kicking from the beginning, and they're just going to watch this team get annihilated, and everybody will leave by halftime just like they did in 2007 against Oklahoma State. 
And uh, it'll be like, uh, I don't know, 56 to 10, because Ryan Day will look at his offensive coaches and go, you know, they did help bring back football last year. So I'm going with 56. I don't, I honestly think something broke at Purdue. And I, I don't think it's, I don't, I think that right now this team is treading on a very, I don't know, something flimsy that would break and send them into abyss like in a, in a Indiana Jones movie, except that it's not an Indiana Jones movie. It's just why not, a, why not just uh, reference the movie titled the abyss? I, I couldn't, my brain went blank right there when I was looking for words. Well, have less heart attacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? Work on that, John. That's shocking. <laughs> I've never heard of that before. <laughs> I, I just, I don't really have a lot of hope. And I'm the eternal hope guy, and I just, I really don't. I think yeah. we're broken and we're done. I'm, I'm the same. I feel, uh, you know, I, I don't think I've ever picked against Nebraska um, here. I say, you know, like the win by one or the win by point one points, which is not even possible, you know. Uh, but I always, I, I'm, I'm to the point now where uh, realism uh, has. Uh, overtaken optimism or, or even that, you know, that hopeful exuberance that I usually have. Uh, I, I agree with you, John, if, if Nebraska comes out swinging and uh, you know, they do some nice things, go back to last year's game against Ohio state when, you know, Luke McCaffrey uh, ran out and, and showed the, uh, the Buckeyes some things they hadn't seen before. And, you know, it was a game for a little while, not long, but a little while. Until um, my daughter had to go walking down the aisle, and then Nebraska fell apart. I'm surprised she's still married because of that. Honestly, like, I would have thought that'd have been a deal breaker. I know. But, I know. <laughs> um, no, I if, if if Nebraska, you know, can can stand with them. I, I like our defense, and I know that Ohio State, you know, they don't rebuild; they reload, uh, and so they have they always have weapons. But I like I like our defense. I feel like the defense is is playing maybe you know a little bit uh, uh, maybe maybe not as well in the Purdue game uh, you know because you all wanted to correct me on that but I feel like the defense has been the the stalwart um, part of of this football team this season and I, I don't think that's going to change you know come Saturday uh, but if the offense can utilize the weapons that they have. The you know the get the Omar Mannings, the Xavier Betts, the Samari Toure's, uh, the Austin Allens, the the Vocalex, uh, you know the the Yants and and the the uh, the Morrisons and and just the the Martinez, you know they have uh, I've, I've listed off weapons and I didn't even name them all. Uh, the, okay, I'll give more credit where I have not in the past utilizing the Levi Falks, you know, <laughs> uh, but not still not the Brody Bells. What that guy. But <laughs> wow! <laughs> no, um, that utilizing the weapons, I could see this game being close. Um, you know, I could see Ohio State, you know, eking out a thriller. You know, like something like a, a thirty-five, you know, twenty-eight or, or forty-two, thirty-two or something like that. Um, but. Even at home, even, you know, on a big stage, which is never a good 
place for Nebraska, in my opinion, because it recent memory has shown that Nebraska on the big stage in a big time game doesn't perform well. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, uh, as you mentioned, John, you know, uh, Ryan Day will look when it's 56 to three or whatever and, and take the foot off the gas pedal, say thanks for bringing football back. That would have been last year. I think it's going to be more like in the movie Remember the Titans when Coach Yost shouts to Coach Boone on the uh, on the sidelines, run it up, Herman, leave no doubt. And Ohio State's going to win like 87 to four or something like something ridiculous. I, it's going to be a bloodbath. And, and I apologize to all the Husker faithful who have now just uh, thoroughly pissed off. But look deep within yourself. Is this a team that's going to go out there and compete with Ohio State? Did you see Sam McCune's? Did any of you watch Sam McCune's video after yes. the game? No. He was more animated than I, I even thought Sam McCune could get. And I thought he made a very good video with very good points. And a lot of people watched it. He didn't even swear, that fucker. <laughs> I bet you he's credentialed for the sidelines for the next road game. <laughs> but he is too. <laughs> well, he doesn't go get a go down to the sidelines. He's a press box guy. Same difference. No, no. Well, okay, not same difference, but he's still credentialed. Okay, we should move on now. I mean, we did predictions, John. That's the end of the show. Oh, we, it is, isn't it? We've been doing this for 252 episodes now, and uh, I felt like by now you would know that. Okay. <laughs> All right, that is our show. Uh, this, you know, two weeks in a row that we've been really depressed and uh, by extension, really depressing to you, the listeners slash viewers. We apologize. But until Nebraska starts winning games, there's not a whole lot to be happy about, except for, and John mentioned it earlier, basketball season. Volleyball season. I'll have to get Beth on talk a little bit about volleyball. and Wrestling's uh, coming soon. And wrestling. And baseball in the spring. And women's bowling. There are a lot of Don't good athletic programs. Bowling. I didn't. We're number one. We're number one. Are we? Well, we were last year. We're still number oh, one until somebody knocks us off. Well, that's that's true. Good point. What, I, what I'm saying is there are a lot of successful athletic programs at the University of Nebraska. Heck, even the club hockey team is doing well. So if not our beloved football team, we can still say go Big Red, Just, you know, Gave ourselves three and a half extra hours on Saturdays. I don't know. <sighs> It'll get better. And I say that because it can't get any worse from football perspective. So uh, that'll do it for this episode <laughs> of the five-part oh, God. I, I love the attitude of the dog in the background, John. The dog sums it up, uh, you know, just, just ready for sleep. And the dog is ready for sleep. We all are. She is snoring. Let us have a good night's rest. Although if you're listening to this Friday morning, don't fall asleep at work. I've done it before, but I didn't have an important job. And you might. So for Todd Wolverton, for John Dam Johnston, I'm Greg Mahachko reminding you this week and every week that five heart. It's all the heart you need. John? Fuck everything. Go big red. To salute the infamous wizard, of the West Coast, West Coast offense, Joe Walsh. My Maserati does 185. I lost my license, now I don't drive. I got a limo, I ride in the back. 
I lock the doors in case I'm attacked. Go Big Red. Okay, then. I, uh, I think my favorite uh, 